This is Season 5, Episode 11, Navigating Times of Uncertainty. Hi there. Oh, hi. So, last time we went to sit down to record this podcast, I, do you remember I accidentally choked on some egg for dinner? I, I have no memory of And that. I couldn't go ahead with the podcast, but then it turns out I actually was getting bronchitis. Like, I thought there was something, I thought it was stuck in my long, lungs, remember? And I was Googling, like, what happens uh, to food when it goes into your lungs. I thought that was ages ago, which just goes to show how long you've had bronchitis. Well, and how long, like, we've been trying to record this podcast. But I had a revelation last night where I realised that, like, just in winter, zero dopamine at night, can't mm-hmm. work at night, mm-hmm. find it really hard to work at night, read at night record podcasts at night so this is great because it's the day and we've found a window of time where our children are otherwise occupied and you and I are not doing other things it is the first time in uh months and months that we've seen each other during the day which is lovely no not seeing it I mean we see each other oh too some would say too often but hey do you want to share because the egg gate obviously put us back a little bit that time (laughs) do you want to share what just happened before we hit record now. <laughs> well, I mean, two things happened. One, I brought in a cup of tea because it's a chilly morning and I did have a little trip and a little spill in our uh, daughter's bedroom where we're recording, um, which I think is what you're referring to. But you also then told me not to drink the cup of tea <laughs> while recording because apparently I swallow loudly. No, anyone that is swallowing when you have a very powerful podcast microphone it is going to be loud. The way you said it made it sound like it was particularly a problem with me. <laughs> I was referring more to the tripping and spilling of the tea and the fact that you came in with how many cups of tea? I came in with one for myself <laughs> um, because it was a very short notice um, trip up for me because I was doing work. But so I thought... It was a lukewarm cup of tea. I know you don't like lukewarm cups of tea. I thought I'll just, I just need a little something warm, so it's better than nothing. I didn't want to offend you with a lukewarm cup of tea, but I've subsequently, for everyone listening, I have got you a cup of tea, yeah. even though I'm not allowed to drink mine. In this beautiful, in this beautiful new cup that you got for your birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. What a, what a treat. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It was a good birthday. How does it feel to be 37? Uh, it feels great. Really. Um, really good and and mostly because we were in Queensland um and having a birthday in early July midwinter um it is a real um yeah it's something special when you can do it in the sun (laughs) by by a swimming pool without work without work yeah yeah real novelty it was pretty great it was a really good day um but do you want to maybe give a bit of an update because it's been a while it's been a long it's been a minute since we've sat down Mm -hmm. and done this like the whole season we've been kind of showcasing other people's conversations and wisdom because mostly it's far um better than ours but do you want to share kind of like paint a picture of where we're at right now in life because i think that so often we're sharing from like after the fact of like what we did to, to get to a regenerative place. We very rarely share from like 
right in the middle of intensity and uncertainty. Um, yeah. So I thought this podcast would be good to just explore that a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we're, we're coming to you from the trenches of life. Um, of middle age, parenting, <laughs> all the things. Um, yeah, gosh, where to begin? Um, I mean, for me, it's been, yeah, a bit of a journey the last sort of six months. How many months ago did we record? Oh, a lot. Probably yeah. six months. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into a bit more, but you know, I'm, I'm still sort of, um, doing bits and pieces of consulting work, some with a great deal of passion, some with a great deal of angst, um, and just finding the ceiling of, I guess, my capacity and interest to play in that space. Um, yeah, so that's that's been ticking away for me financially for us, you know, like lots of people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's challenging and we've had sort of our business, um, you know, it's 12 months now since we sort of, you know, merged together what we were doing. Um, and, you know, that's that's a really beautiful thing and a liberating thing, but you know, to do it within a system that we, that we live in. Um, it's really tough because we don't, we, we basically work five days between us in any given week. And that's not a lot of days to earn the income that we need to earn, um, just to service the debt that we have. Um, you know, the, the privilege of owning our own home or rather trying to trying to repay to own our own home. Um, and yeah, it's it, it and, and I was gonna say as well, to do the work that we want to do, you know, we don't want to charge like exorbitant amounts to make up for the fact that we are working part time. So yeah, it's really tricky to find a balance and, you know, we're clearly off at the moment from a you know if the measure is financial stability and security yeah we're off if the measure is you know time and relationships and um self-care we're probably doing okay but yeah if if only that had the stability and security that came you know that that it should come with yeah and it's interesting uh, there's a few things that are interesting about it because I think that it's really easy to enmesh what's happening more broadly in everyone else's nervous systems and our own experience. So, like, we're fully aware of, like, we just went on a holiday and mm-hmm. um, we, like, our, our, we eat a really good diet and our fridge is full of food, you know. Like, it's not – we don't say dire straits. Like, um, it's just it's just we're feeling the squeeze and I think what's interesting is it's been three or four months since we've had a lot of new project work come in to the consulting side of the business um whereas last year was really strong in that so it's just been like a longer time than usual to put in place the kind of base level income that we usually have to survive and and the second thing I'll say is that we work five days combined by choice partly because um 
neither of us love working really hard but also because we do have caring responsibilities and we'll talk a little bit more about that and our journey with our daughters um where that's at in terms of education and so on and so forth so it's by choice and it's also not by choice and so Mm -hmm. um just recognizing that there is like a limit both in terms of our actual time capacity and my particular physical capacity to work um, much more than that. So it's been an interesting time of like I can track back, you know, at the, at the start before kind of things got really real with the recession um, and we were just coming to the end of some big contracts and my big programs. I went into hyper trying to swallow really quietly everyone's listening I kind of went into hyperdrive and like applied for a whole lot of consulting work and was like dead sure that we're going to get it and we didn't get it and like I'm saying all this because I don't experience shame about it like I'm not like oh okay maybe I have had some moments like there's something wrong with me but it's just generally the climate at the moment is is really different is what we're experiencing is it's a really different climate to run your own business in um, online business is rapidly changing. Like if you're not a full-time content creator, it's pretty hard to get algorithms to work for you. Um, like it's just a, it's a big shift and that brings a lot of uncertainty. And so I guess we want to talk about like how we're navigating that because it has been, I guess, three or four months now of navigating, um, quite a bit of financial uncertainty. And for me, I think just with my brain type, like I do have a higher risk tolerance um, to adapt and and change and innovate. But it's interesting for you because I think you have a really deep kind of nervous system stuff around stability and security. And, you know, for you to even run an own business, you're, you're over threshold in a way. And so how are you feeling and experiencing this in your body? Um, and how are you meeting that? I thought you were talking to the listener for a long period there oh. when you were referring to you. <laughs> literally, literally referring to you sitting here. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, you, you're right. It's not something that comes particularly naturally to me. Um, I, I deal with it um, predominantly through repressing and ignoring um, which is a really unhealthy and unhelpful response. Um, I think it's probably would be better just to freak out and, you know, confront it. Yeah, you, like you you always move towards a shutdown, whereas I would move towards a, a, a fight, a panic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's a beautiful combination, isn't mm, it? It's, it's really healthy and than us both freaking out i guess no and we and i mean this is what we're going to talk about is that we're because we have eight years of experience doing this we have eight years um, of doing business of, of running our own businesses yeah. and it living more regeneratively and not sacrificing our values or our bodies in times of stress in order to stay economically safe then i think we do have a high degree of resilience and resourcefulness but it doesn't. That doesn't mean that we don't have moments of fear. Of course. Oh, and as you're saying this, like I, I want to like um, move around because my back has been in a lot of pain the last mm. two three months. Arguably correlated to um, the aforementioned stress. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's definitely part of 
my day-to-day embodied experience um, and something I'm trying to be much more um, conscious about and engaged with. I think, like, you've come a really long way. Like, I don't... <clears throat> like, you might be repressing, but I, I think for you to have tolerated this state for this long without making, like, going back to your old job or, like, you know... In fact, you're talking about retraining next year, which is so exciting um, because I think that's been coming for a really long time and I'm so excited to support you in that. Like, that shows the flexibility and adaptability that's grown in your nervous system as a result of probably just being forced to be really uncomfortable because you're in a relationship with me. (laughs) Um, And a gift it is. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Should Should we get into the weeds a bit? Yeah, like, do you want to ask me how I'm coping? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's where I was going. Um, Micromanaging the podcast process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's... Yeah, I guess with that stress, with that sort of, um, like you say, the next sort of, you know, contract for us isn't, you know, known on the horizon. It's a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, and that's just the financial side of things, you know, to say nothing of family life and relationships. Yeah. How, how are you feeling about the uncertainty of the world today? Well, I was feeling really terrible a cup for a couple of weeks. The first week in we're away. So I had the flu and then I got bronchitis. Um, then we went away. And for the first kind of three or four days, I was, I was just before my bleed. Like I was not in a competent state. And that's mainly because, when you have a whole economic system that is tethered to your worth to how much you earn and your capacity to be productive and your capacity to um, rise to the economic stress by just making more income, when you have a system like that and things are not, you're not moving in the direction of growth or just functionality, <laughs> sustainability, you are going to question your worth and your value. And I think like I've come a long way in that over the years. And I think it's through these periods of really questioning, am I doing the right work? If it's not making enough money, am I, you know, doing that, making the right choices? I've been through that cycle so many times and really gone to the edge of that and really fallen apart and been held so beautifully by you and other people in that, that each time I go there and I confront these questions of like, maybe I'll just go get a a job and be like a normal person. (laughs) Maybe I'll, you know, like every time I flirt with these ideas and I allow myself to consider whether I'm worthless because I can't seem to live up to the ideals of capitalism, what happens is I find a deeper part of myself that Um, knows and trusts that I'm on the right path and I find more flexibility, more resilience, more adaptability in the nervous system and and a lot more resourcefulness purely because once you fall apart on the other side of that, there's a settledness in the body, you know. So I think that I was not in a good place. I had some long, hard conversations with myself when we were away, just moving my body and being in sun you know, like I was saying to someone this morning with the ADHD, managing dopamine is a full-time job. Managing dopamine in winter is like a full, full-time job. Um, just having a lot of compassion for that 
you know, the seasonality and the global context and everything going on, I think I was able to find a little more spaciousness and through the generous reflection of you and other friends who reflected back like my worth and value beyond what I do just being about who I am like I feel a lot more settled and that doesn't translate to like we suddenly are flush with cash but what I do sense is that and I've been saying this for months and I think it's one of my biggest weaknesses the most frustrating things about me and also the greatest strength is that I do think it's an opportunity to pivot and adapt. I do think it's an opportunity to be like, so this recession and how much everything is costing is really highlighting in the system the cracks of like, we can't just earn more and make more. We just can't. Like there is a limit to our body's capacity. In our particular instance, there's a limit to what um, caring for kids with additional needs looks like there is a limit and so we're gonna have to stop looking to how do I earn more and panicking into how do we share more how do we actually be with less how do we stop wasting so much how do we build communities of care and reciprocity how do we build new economies that are based in local areas like all of these questions I think can be looked at if we cannot do what we've been taught to do, which is to fundamentally panic, freak out and try and sacrifice our bodies and our values in order to stay economically safe, if we can continually oscillate, I guess, between panic and settledness and from the settledness make the decisions that are right for us. Um, so for me, like I'm very clear about what I want to be doing, which is writing oh god don't ask about the book because editing editing for my brain is like I would rather set set my feet on fire like I just hate it so much but I can't afford to pay an editor right now um but I want to be writing I want to be write writing and spending time with the horses and doing the horse tra- trauma work and doing my groups and like spending time with my kids and being in community doing interesting things with interesting people like every time I consider going back and getting a job um, that can't be as flexible as we need it to be, like a little part of my soul dies. So I'm in a way cursed and blessed by the limitations that we have right now and, um, and my deep belief that the way we're doing things has to change and the way we're looking at things has to change. That was a really long answer. That was a big question. Um, you spoke a lot about your how much your brain and the sort of the way you are is is sort of informing what you want to be doing and and you've obviously been you know on a bit of a journey of discovery um around that do you want to share a bit more about you know what that means for how you want to be living in a regenerative way Mm. and and i think also that there's real um lessons for for us all in in thinking about you know maybe the divergence yeah Mm. divergence and and that you know maybe the ceilings that some of us have would be good in a lot of ways for for other people to have Mm. yeah thank you so it's been a really big time with that because as i've been going through assessment for autism and ADHD 
we've also received a diagnosis for our daughter after six years and um and i'll say up front we are fostering a neurodivergent positive family culture um so when i talk about neurodivergence there is no ounce of narrative in this family or on this podcast that it is a tragedy and it is a bad thing in any way. So, like, I just want to say that up front. And if something in our collective nervous systems needs to hold it in that way, we need to really start to confront why that is. Um, And I say that having been confronted by it myself in the past when we first started on this journey. I don't fundamentally see divergence as a bad thing, as a negative thing. The only framing that divergence is bad or negative is in the framing of a capitalist colonialist construct which says that the marker of success is for everyone to be in this very narrow definition of success and if you fall outside that you're bad or wrong in some way so similarly to how the body positive culture has taken the label fat and unenmeshed the societal context around that word when I talk about being autistic when I talk about being ADHD when I talk about neurodivergence I don't say it with any enmeshment of culture in it in fact like I know that there's a lot of this is all my personal opinion right so like everyone has their own take on this but I know that there's a lot of worry that like having a label for example might be bad um but it's only bad if you take that label and you prescribe a whole set of things onto that label Um, that have been written by the norms that we've grown up in. So I have been listening and so blessed to live in an era where I have access to people with lived experience, um, autistic folks, creative folks, like folks from all different walks of life sharing their lived experiences of what it is like to be neurodivergent in in an inherently ableist construct and I'm so grateful that my daughter's going to grow up being able to understand that the way she moves in the world is a beautiful thing um, and in no way is a limitation other than that the culture is limited in how we're able to provide support for and change our systems to include folks that see and move see the world and move in the world in different ways um which is a system of categorization which oppresses, harms, marginalizes and excludes people um, as a way of being in order to favor resources and power being accumulated by a few. And I want no part of that. So I feel really strongly about saying that up front because I think that um, getting in touch with our divergence and being willing to say, I can't move in that way. I need this work environment to be stretched big enough to accommodate the way I move because if you do that, then I will give you the gift of this brain, this way of being, which is so lateral and so um, inherently tapped into the wisdom of life. And yes, we may need things like going a little slower and our time for digestion. And um, But the benefit if when you get someone like me or our daughter hyper-focused on solving a problem 
of greater magnitude, like what an incredible gift for society, for communities, for workplaces, um, for families, you know, and it's just about understanding that. And I think it's just bringing, bringing, brought a new depth and lens to um, what I've been always saying for years because I've had to build a life that is regenerative for me, which has meant diverging from the norms and being countercultural and speaking about countercultural things. Um, it's brought a new depth and understanding and a lot of more compassion to that about the ways that I don't quite measure up, understanding how few of us actually do measure up, whether you identify as neurodiverse or not. We can't measure up. And so we're going to have to have the courage to be like, you know what? that just doesn't work for me that way doesn't work for me but I can do it this way and that's still valuable and what happens when you start to value beings that have different ways of seeing and experiencing and relating um, is that you start to bring more diversity back into the soils of our community you start to shake the foundations of this obsession with categorization and norms which keeps people bound for their whole lives which oppresses and excludes and harms and you begin to just feel more liberated to be like I don't in my body hold this deep sense of fear that if I diverge from the norm I'm not going to be safe anymore you know which is what to live regeneratively to turn this ship around we're going to have to start doing, you know what I mean? But I'm like, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this and like your experience of someone identifies as neurotypical being in relationship with someone who doesn't and in a family full of divergent folks, like how is it for you and what's been the challenge and the gift in that? Um, I, I think there's so many gifts and, you know, I, it, it's it's interesting we we think about it as a binary of you know <laughs> there's divergence or there's there's not yeah but we're all diverse and we you know the system fails to really recognize that there is such deep diversity across all individuals from their lived experience to their um to their neurology um and their genetics and it's i think it's it's really opening a um, a door to explore that and consider that more deeply um, within myself and you know with those around me as well. Um, yeah, and and just because we, you know, me for example, I can tolerate working nine to five in my body doesn't mean that that's a <laughs> a nourishing experience. Whereas for you, you know, it's it's quite destructive. Um, but you know, just be yeah, just because I can tolerate doesn't mean it's a good thing. Mm. And I think that's true of a lot of people. Um, so yeah, the, there's yeah, it's it's been a really um, I think overall a beautiful experience for me. I, I've not really I don't really have great challenges with it because I've been with you for 10 years. I've mm. been with our oldest daughter for six years. You know, the, the experience, how I understand you is shaped by the experiences that I've had with you and they, mm. that's unchanged. <clears throat> um, so it's just opening up possibilities. You know, that there's obviously a, a depth of understanding, you know, that there's more of a framework of understanding how, yeah. how you sort of see the world and move through the world. Um, but 
yeah, it, it's, I don't think it's sort of um, been a revelation in any way, just given, <laughs> given the, given the <laughs> length of relationship that I've had with, with, you know, you and our daughter, daughters. Yeah. I think what's challenging is, um, is because everyone has quite particular needs, but I would say this, this is like in any family, in any community, everyone has very Mm. particular needs because also, you know, especially with trauma in the body, everyone develops very specific needs around support and care and, you know, those things as well. So, um, I say this broadly, but I think one of the challenges is, uh, it can often be too late by the time we're overwhelmed to um, give language to something. And so we need a much higher degree of communication in our family, I think, around like needs and um, sensory needs and putting in place, like try, trying to balance all of those needs when there is a, a, just a heightened level of emotion all around all the time. Um, but I think, again, like it's lends itself to the skills that you have so already so beautifully you know like your skills in people and conflict and like um yeah and just that we have a high value on on finding togetherness even in the challenge you know like i think that is a challenge yeah i mean it it has been um heartening though that a lot of the the quirks that you have, you know, the the frust- the little frustrations in a relationship over a long period of time, you know, I can sort of rationalise those a lot, a lot more now. Well, like I, someone but told- I was going to say, yeah. sorry to interrupt, I was no. going to say, but I have no sort of excuse for not changing the things that I do that, that you know, rub you the wrong way. No, so. but, I, but I don't think you expect me to change. And I was also laughing. No, no, I don't now, but I... You know, I've got no excuse. Yeah. You've got no excuse to trip over your, like, with your tea, which no, I, I like, I trip over things all the time. I get stuck on door handles all the time. I am not, often, I'm often trying to. It sound like every door you go through. I, I essentially, that is a, actually a thing. <laughs> it's actually a thing. Um, but the gifts are many, right? Oh. Yeah. In, yeah. Like, immeasurable. And I think, like, so we had a bit of a, well, two, okay, so here goes my brain going in two different places at precisely the same time. First of all, can you share, because you're doing some work at the moment, which we won't speak specifically about, can you share what happens when people don't communicate their needs and wants or communicate, um, like, have a language and an awareness of communicating their state in shared common places in your community, in your work with communities? It's a bit of an obtuse question for what I think you're talking about. Yeah, I'm doing, um, I'm doing and have been doing some pretty intense work, um, around where we live, um, on a very divisive proposal by the local government. Um, and yeah, I've been brought in to sort of listen to that, to um, to mediate in in some ways, but but just to be a, a bit of a bridge between um, council and and the community. Um, and it's been I, I thought 
I've done a lot of this work before and I thought it would be okay, but it's been very, very um, distressing for me and my sort of body. Um, again, coincides with the back pains and, um, yeah, debilitating sort of physical <laughs> state I've been in. Um, yeah, it, it, people are... People have been triggered and um, very, very, very... Hmm, adversarial. Adversarial, yeah. And some of it's been directed at me, a lot of it at sort of the council, um, but just with no real sort of recognition of why or... Um, what or an acknowledgement of like I'm feeling activated because this is touching into this sense of survival and safety for me and you know I'm scared of change like it just no self-awareness and a lot of projection outward yeah. and bullying like it's it's folks thinking that the only way to get their needs met and their wants met and heard is to bully others and I think it, it like it's not new like we've been seeing this in organizations for our whole careers in our communities for because hurt people who don't have these somatic skills is just hurt people like like mm. there's no i have so much compassion for it but watching you go through it it's been really hard mm. yeah i mean it i'm a bit of a sucker for it because i i understand that people are coming from a place of fear even if they don't understand it you know fear of losing something that is known that is known that changes the community in some way that they have been part of for an extended period of time um yeah so i, I keep doing it because i understand it even if people can't articulate it um but what but happens it, like what's the net effect of that absence of self-awareness like what happens as a result of that yeah i mean it, it's just a perpetual conflict really yeah and um and the frustration for me has been in a failure to sort of transcend that mm. even with individuals who you know at the center of this discussion debate who i've spent i don't know how hours. many hours on the phone with um over it's been three months now um you know, I feel like we're still at the start. And, and, and they're that's... so, like, armoured up, aren't they? Like, there's no softening in the system. So when there's no softening in a system, literally nothing can flow. It's literally like a... I'm doing something with my hands that no one can see. <laughs> it's like it's everything freezes and everyone is locked into position. And even with your... You're such a great listener. It's one of the many skills you have in this work. Um, and your vulnerability and your courage, like it hasn't been enough to shift this particular group of individuals um, into a softening themselves to be like, actually, I'm really afraid of this, which is interesting because I think even in our hardest work, doing very divisive work um, that threatens people's sense of safety in some way about the status quo, like feminist work, we've been able to get moments of that 
Mm-hmm. And here there's just been so little of that softening. Yeah, it's really interesting. And humanity and humanity, you know. Yeah. And yeah, working on on gender and um, violence against women and you know, I've worked in communal violence, um, situations of communal violence, yeah. civil war, you know, there's <laughs> Be, been some peace negotiations yeah, yeah genocide i've been i've been around a fair bit of conflict um and you know i, I laugh out of discomfort of that but um yeah it, it's been a real discovery of my sort of limitations and over the last few months and you know the futility of thinking that i can change everyone I work with because I can't. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, as you say, that's sort of been a, a bit of a tipping point for me in thinking about what I want to be doing and, and how I want to be spending my time, mm. you know, for the years ahead. Yeah, and you really want to be working with young people, which is so great. I think that it kind of leads nicely into this question around, like, how we are going to pivot and adapt our business and something that became really clear in the last since the last three years really since the 2020 since pandemic started um, is that we've worked in a lot of organizations on projects and we're kind of bought in to do a thing um, which is great except that when you're trying to do a thing but the context that you're operating in is in all states of disarray and completely not regenerative when you're trying to do a process in a regenerative way within a context that's not the fishbowl is not then it's really challenging. Um, And so what we notice that as the years have gone on through the pandemic is that just like you're talking about within community, organisations made up of individuals' capacity to actually deliver projects, and we work with a lot of impact-driven organisations, has been greatly reducing and we've noticed that the level of trauma in the general population has been vastly increasing and those two things are definitely correlated. And so we've kind of been wanting to do this work for such a long time and we haven't been able to because we've been busy with other work. And now in the absence of other work, it's like, well, now's the time. Like anyone running a business organisation right now has to be looking at how can we provide people with some level of safety and security in their bodies Um in a way that supports them to continue to make regenerative decisions. And so we really want to go in to businesses, organisations and companies with quite an explicit focus now to say, how can we look at your systems, your operations, but more specifically, how can we how can we work with your leaders and people to embed some of these tools that we really place a high value on? I always use the example of like what happens in a meeting when you take a breath at the start versus uh, or or have some sharing about what's happening in people's lives um, or just have some different movement versus what happens in a meeting when everyone comes in armoured up deep in their trauma, deep with stuff going on and just how counterproductive that is. So bringing that somatic lens into workplaces in order to restore a bit of that flow and help leaders start to think a little bit more innovatively about um, how to steward resources, and that includes people, which I hate thinking about people as resources, but steward their resources in a way that is really life-giving. And I think for so long 
there's been this approach of like, well, that's a nice to have, you know, this is like employee well-being, but like from a systems lens, I guess, understanding that putting the onus on the individual isn't going to create context or culture change. Um, but now we're really seeing, and they're, and they're like, well, you know, we can't work more regeneratively because our bottom line will be affected. And it's like your bottom line is going to be affected full stop right now for most people unless you're very, very, very large. So why not use this as an opportunity to innovate and adapt and pivot and experiment with these ways that, like, we know we've seen through all of our years of experience do just create, like, places where people feel more valued and therefore want to show up and do their work, you know? Yeah, I think... That's 100% right. And we've been trying to have these conversations um, in a bit of a, a Trojan horse way where, you know, we, we do different projects here and there and, and we start to introduce these these concepts and these, you know, these recommendations around around everything you're saying. And, and yeah, we're, we're kind of just seeing the... Um, the limitations of that and the frustrations of that mm. for us. Um, so rather than doing that, we are explicitly saying or acknowledging that, hey, the world's pretty broken. Um, most businesses and organisations are having to be themselves pretty broken and fragmented in response to that, um, whether it's, you know, just being very extractive, very transactional, very hierarchical um you know all the thing a, a colonial capitalist system sort of necessitates um and saying no stop it you know let's shine a light on it let's let's understand how that's working for you and the people you work with and and how can it possibly be different mm. even at the margins and, and like you say taking the the onus off individuals you know one two three four however many runs down the ladder of um of decision making because doing doing a bit of, a bit of pd around you know well-being you know for for a couple of days isn't going to cut it no when you are when so many people are so stressed overwhelmed um in a when freeze a response system is crumbling around them mm. and so people are going to be grabbing and squashing people on their way to get what they can like we just need a bit of different thinking and the different thinking can only come from a different state of being which is why like that base level nervous system support is so vital right now mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah so conscious of time mm-hmm. um just want to circle back to something. <laughs> Conscious of time. I'm going to extend it. Um, just back to the neurodiverse conversation. Like, I completely um, am a huge advocate for self-diagnosis. Um, so I don't necessarily think that everyone needs to go to an assessment. In fact, I know that in some countries um, that that can lead to limitations, which is effed in its own way in terms of accessing resources. So, but to say that like something that really changed my opinion about it and has made a big difference was um, hearing someone say, and I can't remember because this is one of my very f- many f- 
flaws is that I can never remember. So I can't attribute things that I hear. I just kind of, absor- I just go through life like absorbing things and then they, they come out in some way. Um, that if you spent your whole life trying to be a fish, but you were actually a bird and then you found out you were a bird, like how liberating that would be, you know? And I think that's certainly been my experience when we told Millie, you know, after the assessment process, she was like, yeah, of course I am, mum. Like I already knew, you know, like we experimented with school, you know, for a term this year and it was a case of because she's so amazing at masking that she would um, show up and do all the things and regulate herself in an extremely taxing way all day despite not quite understanding social nuances and so that being taxing despite just how taxing it is for her to sit still and and listen and and have demands um, and instruction geared towards her. Um, And ultimately, although so few people understood our decision because the feedback was she's doing so well, ultimately we could see from the feedback in her body that it was not a positive force in her life. Um, And to see her kind of come back to life over the last term and she has like honestly the best life and the best weeks and they're kind of I wish that I had her life you know which I kind of do but you know like she's out there watching a documentary at the moment she's had a horse riding lesson she's going to circus later she'll have drawing time today like we're going to do a few chores you've had some reading time this morning like and some literacy time like it's just a she has so much more autonomy which just works better for her But to trust ourselves in that after six years of essentially being gaslit by most people and then to have the psychologist tell us that it's absolutely the right thing for her and her biology, like that was so, you know, I cried for most of that time with the psychologist when I heard that feedback because to move in these countercultural ways, to trust your instincts in terms of what is life-giving both for yourself and others, it does take courage and it certainly takes a community of people that just get it. It's so, you know, it speaks to everything we're talking about really, which Mm. is around liberation and, you know, bodily and emotional autonomy. Mm. And whether that's in, you know, our children, whether it's around neurodiversity, whether it's around, um, you know, workplace, business, community, whatever it is where we are thinking and ourselves mm. of course you know we're trying to think about how we can free ourselves to be the people that we want to be and support mm. those around us and for me that that there's a there's a finite capacity for me to do that for others mm. um and to really invest my time where that's going to be rewarding for me mm. and, and probably working with young people mm. is the way that you know, is the thing that I've enjoyed most previously. Um, but yeah, it, it all comes back to, to, to that question of, of what, what do we need to do Mm. and how can we, um, get more autonomy Mm. and come back to who we are. Mm. And in doing that stretch, stretch these very narrow definitions of what a good life is. And, and, um, I think we have a high 
value on building the skills and capacity for people to have those conversations, right? And I think that's what we want to be able to do. If anything, from this podcast, we're supposed to be talking about uncertainty, but I think what I'm tracking now and the theme is, you know, about um, in times of uncertainty, it's even more important to value our diversity and to value our uniqueness and to put measures in place, particularly communities of care and self-care that is really titrated to who we are and how vital that is and how doing so just helps us show up in more wholeness but also helps us stretch these systems um, to be more diverse and inclusive so yes I want to end with this beautiful question you asked me I think I know the answer you're going to share already but like what is the unthinkable thought that you're going that you're thinking about right now Mm, you know what I'm going to say because I've stolen it (laughs) But if we can bring this beautiful being into this space, I think it's yes, what a way to end, right? It was from a conversation um, that I was listening to with um, Andrew Marie Brown, um, and she was asked this question of you know the un- unthinkable thought, and 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 she shared her unthinkable thought was maybe maybe there just isn't a long term future for humanity on this planet. And maybe that's not a bad thing. And maybe let's not kill ourselves trying to prop up something that maybe is sort of um, irreversibly broken and damaged. And let's just spend our times with, you know, the people that we love and trying to have a good life for us and those around us. And that be enough. Mm. And I think that's, yeah, that's definitely been my thought, not to get sort of too... Fatalistic. Fatalistic or morbid or, you know, yeah, it's maybe that's not how things will turn out, but if it is, so be it. And that's maybe that's a beautiful gift for the planet as mm-hmm. well. And, you know, the, the restoration and, um, yeah, return to vitality for every other being you know, non-human being uh, that moves through the world. And, yeah, that's that's no disaster. It's a beautiful thing um, to contemplate and to end on. And I think when I, knowing, knowing Adrian's work, like I don't think it is an invitation to propel in toward hedonism in a way that, you know, is going to affect future generations. I don't think that's the point that they're trying to make. I think potentially it's about understanding that um, that sometimes being together and the pleasure that is derived from that um, is rebellious and revolutionary in and of itself and, and shedding these expectations that we need to be do big, great things is liberating in and of itself. So I think there's this nuance in all of this that's like, yes find wholeness and yes um express all of us and yes um live a beautiful life and and capture as much pleasure as you can but not in a capitalist like that pleasure is not defined by like having and stealing and pillaging and extracting like the pleasure that we're talking about is the pleasure of being a human you know and letting the sunset rays like touch your face and holding a hug like a second longer and 
running your hands like over moss or your feet across rocks like that's that's to me what the essence is here of a good life it's not how do I now just well we're all doomed so I'm just gonna take as much as I can and use the broken systems in order to, to get that and I think right now at this time with so much uncertainty it does feel like a binary of I either you know trade in all my values and you know do what I need to do to secure myself economically or I kind of go the other way and fall into community and try and share our resources and I, and I don't think it's binary I think what we're trying to say is safety in the body first regenerative decisions come from there and tie trading like we're all gonna have to move between these states of doing what we need to do but also not getting wrapped up and enmeshed in the idea that we always need more because at a certain point that's just not going to be sustainable for our bodies or anything else you know Mm. i don't want to i don't want to correct adrian marie brown but that's like you know the nuance that's definitely what i'm talking about and um i can't remember if it was part of that conversation or another one that i listened to but imagine if we had the the time you know the luxury of time and creativity to imagine just standing or lying where we are and feeling gravity as a hug from earth Mm. wouldn't that be nice Mm. just for a second yeah um but anyway thanks for the catch up Thanks. I, I was just, while we were talking, I was reminded, we did a podcast ages ago where you warned me about eating strawberries <laughs> before we spoke about how loud that they were or calling <laughs> it out when I was doing it. This is like my hypersensitivity about noise though, right? Like someone swallowing or sniffing is like literally death to my nervous system. So you probably swallow perfectly normally, to be fair. And I want to apologize for that. Well, feedback welcome, because I did drink my cup of tea. Um, <laughs> so feedback welcome on how disruptive that was the conversation. Have a good day. Bye.